Hey friends, hey family, Nate Milliken here. Um, I serve as a husband, as a dad, and one of the pastors alongside and under our lead pastor, Larry Riley, as well as serving full-time uh, with your North American Mission Board to oversee church planting. That is a long introduction, so happy to be with you whenever you're watching this sermon online. We are in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. If you want to flip there in your hard copy of God's Word or go to it on your smartphone, we'll read that here in just a moment together in the sermon. But the big idea this in this sermon is to recognize our limitations. That saving faith, as we've been talking about the last several weeks in the book of James, saving faith looks like controlling our tongue, uh, loving and taking care of the poor, having an, a heavenly wisdom as opposed to an earthly wisdom. And as we come to James chapter 4, it looks like not boasting about tomorrow, having an understanding where we recognize our limitations. So James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, just five verses. But a guy named Augustine, who was a third, fourth century theologian, philosopher, is famous for many quotes. And he said this, Love God and do as you please. What he meant was, what we'll do will be a manifestation of our loving relationship that we have with God. So if we love God rightly, what comes forth in our lives is going to be good. But in fact, most individuals change it to this. Do as you please and simply say that you love God. It's found in statements like, you are the captain of your ship. You're the individual who will determine your destiny. Your destiny is what you make it. And James wants to combat and confront that way of thinking. So if you will, if you'll stand where you are, maybe at the kitchen table in your family room, or you're out in public, maybe you're already walking, listening to the sermon. Let's read James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17 together. This is God's word to you and to me. Here's what God's word says. Come now you who say... Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him or her, it is sin. God's voice written down for you and for me. May God bless the preaching and the listening of it. The big idea, again, is to recognize our limitations. I think you see that in a couple facets. Recognize our limitation with regards to the uncertainty of life recognize our limitation with regards to our uncertainty of life as well as the brevity of life the brevity of life in the movie the moviegoer walker percy's protagonist says this 100 percent of people are humanists and 98 percent of people believe in god Secular humanism would say that God doesn't exist and God, if he does exist, isn't concerned or mindful of what goes on in my life. And the comment is meant to convey that most people live their lives without God being a part of their daily life. It's seen in what 
David writes in Psalm 14, verse 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It's not a proof text against atheism, but rather what David is saying, there are people who live as if God is not concerned about what goes in our lives, and consequently, I'm not concerned about what God thinks about my life. I'm going to live my life without any consideration about God. We're going to do exactly what James says not to do. In fact, it's seen in statements like, we're going to have a baby at year two after we get married, and then we're going to wait a couple years, and we're going to have a baby at year four, and we're going to have a baby at year six, and we've planned out our lives. Or statements such like, we're going to move there in a couple years, or I'm going to get this promotion, or she's definitely going to say yes, and there's no way that's going to happen. In fact, I found myself saying that very thing. In February of this year, regardless of your perspective of COVID-19, I found myself back in February thinking, there is no way this virus called COVID-19 is going to span the Pacific Ocean and come over to the United States. And if it does, it won't be that big of a deal. Confession, I was wrong, right? There are things that are outside of my control. I'm not sovereign. You're not sovereign. Circumstances teach us about the frailty and the fragility and the uncertainty of tomorrow and that you and I are dependent beings. Maybe you're a Christian, you understand we are to be reliant upon the Father. Maybe you're not a Christian, I want you to know that you are a created being. You're a dependent being and God loves you and cares for you so much so. They provided the only way in which you could be forgiven, clean, made whole have peace, and that is to know Jesus as your King and Savior. Recognize your limitation regarding the uncertainty of life. James says, come now, you who say business ventures and men and women engaging in commerce. It was probably a brusque tone as James is penning this part of the letter. We can't see his posture. We can't see his or hear his tone. But with this phrase, we can imagine what he would look like saying, come now you who say. One commentator said this, how can you, being the kind of creatures that you are, presume to dictate the certainties course of future Event. It's the uncertainties of life that James is speaking about. His aim is talking to Christians who were materialistic, who map out the trajectory of their life based upon profit and prestige without any reference to the will and the plan and the character of God. There were people in this day and age that would travel and would plant themselves along the Mediterranean coast. And the bottom line then is the bottom line now, dollar bills, making a profit. And James says, rather than you making plans to the neglect and the absence of God, we should ask God for wisdom with regards to our plans, confess our need for favor. And when we achieve success... Thank God for the favor that he has bestowed upon us. Now, by the way, this is not a rebuke or a warning against making money, but is a rebuke for a worldly self-confidence that forgets our limitations with regard to the uncertainties of life. And it's also not a warning against Christians planning for the future with regards to retirement or savings, which would be wise stewardship. It's a rebuke for the person who lives their life without any consideration of God. So how are you doing with that? As you make plans for your family and your marriage and your vocation and your finances, do you say things like, if the Lord wills, 
We need his wisdom. Lord, we need you to lean in and guide us, instruct us, encourage us where we need to be encouraged, and confront us where we need to be confronted. Secondly, that big idea is seen in recognizing our limitation with regards to the brevity of life. James says in James chapter 4, verses 14, verse C, for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. It's a ground statement which gives purpose and explains what he has just said. The reason you should not do that is because your life, my life, is a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. It's hot now in southern Indiana, so this doesn't quite land But you understand what I mean by when you go out in the early morning in a crisp, brusque morning, brisk morning, and it's cold outside, and the warm air that you exhale uh, crystallizes for a moment, and then it disappears. Same thing with smoke and a campfire or steam from a teapot. He uses all of these metaphors to explain life is but a vapor. Let me give you a real-world example. That happened just a couple weeks ago. I got a text from my friend who's a pastor in Minneapolis. He goes, hey, did you hear about John Powell? No, I didn't. I went to seminary with John Powell. John Powell and I have a lot of the same friends. My friend Jonathan said John Powell was killed in a car accident. He was driving down the road, saw a stranded motorist, got out to help the stranded motorist. They were outside on the outside of the car on this busy highway. John sees an 18-wheeler barreling down the road, knows that they are going to get hit if they don't jump out of the way. He pushes the guy out of the road, and the 18-wheeler hit my friend, John Powell, just several days ago. His young 40s, a wife named Catherine, and four young kids. I say that to say this, you and I need to be reminded that our life is but a vapor and there should be an urgency. If you're watching this, you don't know Jesus. I want you to know that you're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised your next breath. You need to understand that you've been created by God. You've rebelled against God and God in his mercy and kindness and love loves you to the point that he did not even spare his own son, but gave his son Jesus to step in to live the life that you were called to live and I was called to live and lived a perfect life, perfectly obeying God's law. Goes to a sinner's cross, even though he was the righteous one, the perfect one, and died the death that we were called to die. God, the Father, poured out His wrath, His anger upon the Son, which was His anger towards sin. Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cries out, it is finished. There is no other way in which sinful man and woman could be forgiven, reconciled to God. He goes to the tomb. He is resurrected from the grave. And our response to that message is to turn from our sins and believe in Jesus. Life is but a vapor. And we need to recognize our limitations with regards to the uncertainties of life and the brevity of life. But he goes on, it's not enough just to understand and recognize the limitations of our life with regards to uncertainties and brevity. We ought to say, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, this is not meant to be some kind of passive fatalism where we say, if the Lord wills, he's determined everything, so I'm just going to sit back and do nothing and see what happens. That's not what James is saying. He's encouraging us to have a humble dependence upon the sovereign, powerful goodness of God. It's what David writes in Psalm 90 verse 12. 
Holy Spirit, teach us to number our days that we might have a heart of wisdom. There was a phrase that the Puritans used to use and the Methodists used to use uh, back in the day when they would write and pen letters of correspondence to people talking about upcoming events or decisions. They would close it with, sincerely, Nate Milliken, D.V., the DV stood for a Latin phrase called Deo Valenti. Deo Valenti, a Latin phrase that simply meant Lord willing. This event will play, take place. Lord willing, this decision will be made. Lord willing, we've planned, we've strategized, we've prayed, we've come together, we've collaborated, we put together a support system. Here's where we think we're going, Deo Valenti. But instead, a lot of us, Make plans for marriage, make plans for a family, make plans for a vocation, make plans for this and that, and we leave God out of it. Deo valenti, if the Lord wills. I think it's significant that James uses the phrase, if the Lord wills, and not if God wills, because the title, Lord, is a distinctly more Jewish Christian perspective than it is if he were to merely have said, said God. And plus the title Lord could be Jesus, since James does indeed reference Jesus in his letter. Chapter 1, verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1, chapter 5, verse 7, and chapter 5, verse 8. But this is not some type of magical phrase. So we make plans and then we just add, if the Lord wills. This is a phrase that our mind and our heart is to be in alignment with God. It's a frame of mind. It's a condition where you're living your life in surrender to God and His plans and His will and His work in your life. Jesus did this perfectly to the Father. St. Paul does this. All of the saints, all of the apostles do this. It wasn't something that they went around saying, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills. But it was a, a reality where they were keenly aware that they live in God's world. So their mindset was to plan, was to pray, was to believe and follow him, knowing that they should live their lives with a loose grip and have a tight grip on God's plan and God's will. And yet James says, you boast. You're exemplifying earthly wisdom. This is a person who lives and operates as if they're in control of their destiny, and they live their lives as if God is not concerned. They live their lives devoid, absent of God. And James says, such boasting is evil. It's, it's this phrase, look at what I've done on my own. Sure, God has given me my life, but it's my brains and my plans and my energy. Now, you might be, and I might be at times, too sly, too sophisticated, too slick, too godly to say those things out loud. But when we get offended, when things don't happen the way that we want them to happen or thought that they should happen, there's a sense of entitlement and pride and arrogance because it's a glimpse into our heart. We've planned We've organized, we've worked hard, we've prayed, we've, we've done all this planning, and we deserve to have this happen. Our disappointment, our frustration, our anger, our irritation at times is a telltale glimpse into our 
heart. And James says, if the Lord wills, make plans, strategize, but if the Lord wills. James has given us several commands throughout the book of James. He finishes there in verse 17 with this verse, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. Sins of commission and sins of omission. Things that we know we ought to do, but don't do it. And one of those, as James posits to us, submits to us, is to have a posture from a faith that saves, where we recognize we're dependent creatures. We recognize our limitations with regards to the uncertainties of life and the brevity of life. Saving faith, as I close, is seen in humility of heart that sees a person's life, sees their life, and the future for what they are, not a guarantee, and ultimately out of our control. It's a call to realize how self-reliant we are in our thinking, and instead be self-reliant upon Jesus. We need His grace, we need His mercy, we need His favor, we need His direction, we need His wisdom, and we need His help. So the posture of our lives, the breath that flows from our tongues, the cries of our heart, the decisions that we make, the plans that we formulate, all should be a deep recognition of our finiteness, our limitations of the uncertainty certainty of life and the brevity of life. And then as we set the eyes of our heart upon Jesus, our good and faithful King, as he leads us through this short life, we should simply say, Deo Valenti. Deo Valenti. Lord willing. We come under your good, sovereign hand for our lives. Deo Valenti.